your Bibles uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. So if you're unfamiliar with where that's at, uh, just go to the table of contents. Um, you'll find it in Paul's writings after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all those. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. And so, heading into Thanksgiving time, uh, we're going to look at, I, th- I thought it'd be cool to, to take a moment and look at what, what's the demeanor, what's the heart, what's the presence of the Christian as we're heading into the time that's supposed to be about Thanksgiving. And so, giving thanks back to, to God, giving thanks to other people for, for all that they're doing in our, our lives, in our world. And so, uh, so I want to look at the disposition or the presence of the heart of the one who is in Christ. Uh, So the one who has been redeemed by his work on the cross and has been regenerated or has been made new in his heart and now joyfully submits to him as the Lord over their life. Um, so, so, So when Christ enters your life, he doesn't only worry about your behavior, as important as that is, but he also worries about or is concerned with What's happening in your mind, your outlook on the world, what's happening in your heart, and what leads you to react in the ways that you do or don't do? And so, what are your thoughts, what's your outlook, what's your demeanor? And so, and so I thought it'd be good for us to look at these three commands over the next three weeks in First Thessalonians, which David actually has uh, led uh, their class to, to memorize. Um, and so I saw it in there. I was in there the other day. I was like, that's a great idea. I, I was thinking about it, and I saw it on the board. I'm like, man, I want to follow that. We're going to do that. And so, uh, so if you'll look at 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 16, Paul gives, he's given a whole list of exhortations or commands to, the, to believers, but there's three in here that I want to hone in on uh, that have to do with what's happening in our minds, our outlook on the world. And here's what it says. It says, rejoice always. Pray constantly and give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so let's pray, and then we'll begin to look at this first one. So, Father, come before you. We thank you for your word. And so I pray that you would help us to understand it, and to be people who would then receive it into our hearts, into our minds to then be able to go live out lives filled with joy based out of who you are and what Christ has done for us on our behalf. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So before we get to the rejoice always, the pray constantly and the give thanks and everything, Paul ends this little section with this statement, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, God's will, have you ever thought about just what God's will is for your life? Now, many times when you and I think like we're going to have a big movement thing in our life, so we consider, is this what God's will is for me? So oftentimes when we ask that question, we're asking it in response to, should I take this job or should I not? Should I get married or should I not? Should I have this kid, another kid, or should we be done? Should we, like, what, how should I do this? Should we move to this new city or should I not? Should I buy this more expensive house or should I not? Like, you start to have these questions about what you want to do or what's happening in your world, and you think, is this God's will for my life? Does God desire me to take this new engineering job? Or does God desire me to do this thing? 
you know, and you're like, I don't know. Scripture doesn't say, yes, go to work for Encore. Like, it doesn't say that anywhere. And so, we're left wondering, is this what God's will is for me? And you're like, a lot of times, I don't know. I guess I'll just do it and see what happens, right? But there are places, and I don't want to discount God or the Spirit's leading you or prompting you to do certain things or go certain directions in your life. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying that's a lot of times when we ask the question, what is God's will for me? We go to those kind of questions. But in many cases in Scripture, when it talks about what God's will is for you, it has less to do with your movement and more to do with what's in your heart, right? And so here, what he says is the Bible is clear, this is what God's will is for you. Like you personally, in your own life, this is God's will for you. Here's the first thing of what His will is for you, to rejoice always. Isn't that a crazy thought? That God's desire for you is for you to always be rejoicing. That's a very pleasant God right? If that's His will for you, is for you to always be rejoicing, for you to always be praying, and for you to always be giving thanks. That's a very pleasant God to say, I want to be with that one because He wants me to be happy. He wants me to be joyful. He wants me to be praying. He wants me to be giving thanks. And in every respect, like whether you're a Christian or not, you can look at that and say, no, that would be a good life. That's a good life. That's one that I want to attain if I'm rejoicing always. And the God of the heavens who created you says, that's what I want you to be like. That's a cool thought. And so he's concerned with the presence, the demeanor, the outlook of your heart. And so let's go look at this first one here. In verse 16, here's what Paul tells you and me and the Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Now, If you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard this. When someone talks about what joy is, um, they they struggle to define it, and then they say, well, joy is something that is is consistent or lasts. You've got happiness that's temporary, that's based on your circumstances, and then you have joy that's not temporary. It remains, and it's it's not dependent on your circumstances. You're like, okay, so what is it, right? Like, a problem with with just leaving it there is that you don't really know what it is. It's difficult to define something based on what it's not, right? You need to figure out, okay, what is the actual thing? And so the problem, the reason that when many of us read the word joy or when we read rejoice, we struggle a little bit to figure out what it's actually telling us to do because joy is is actually one of the most difficult to define words or attributes or themes in the Bible. But with that, it's also one of the most fundamental attributes or expressions of the Christian, right? Paul says this, this is God's will for you, that you rejoice always. Problem for us, we're not really sure what it is, right? So, I was reading this week and getting some help on what actually is joy. And uh, there were some, there's a lot of theologians who just like, they'll write, joy is, uh, have joy in happy times, have joy in sadness, have joy in like, that's great. You should have joy in all these different circumstances of your life. You're still not telling me what it is, right? You're not telling me what I should, like, does that mean I should be singing all the time? Is that like, 
there, I can think of a lot of circumstances. Right now, RSV is going through my house. Thankfully, I'm on the other side of it, so you don't have to worry about me, I don't think. But anyways, but there's a virus going through my house right now, and it's on our fourth kid currently. There's not a lot of singing happening at my house currently. Like, like I know that should be joyful, but I'm kind, everyone's going stir-crazy, right? There's only so many times I'm going to tell the kids, don't pick up that Nintendo Switch and run around the house with it. You're going to break it. Like, Nintendo's, we got them. For the, it's like, it's like it just go, you, you go crazy, right? So, what should I have in this moment? Does this mean I should just be singing all the time? Well, I found one resource. There was a dude, uh, I think his name was Gerald Hawthorne. I think that's what his name was, uh, who wrote, here's what I think joy is. He said, it's not necessarily happiness, although happiness is contained within it. He said, joy is more akin to faith and internal peace. He's like, that's what joy really is. And so, it's an internal outlook on reality that is based on confidence in God. It's an internal outlook on reality that's based in confidence in God. And so, it's an internal faith, internal peace that then manifests itself in a different way depending on your circumstance. So, it's an internal confidence, an internal faith in Christ that depending on what external circumstances applied to it, we'll, you'll see it expressed in a different way. So, for example, you can see it as genuine happiness or gladness or singing, but you can also see it as like just pleasure or like being proud of something in the sense of like a father proud of his son. Or you can also see it expressed as peace or evenness or a calmness in the midst of struggle. All three of those different ways, so the happiness or just the pleasure or the peace, are extensions or are manifestations of the root joy. Now, Paul here says it in this letter. In first, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple examples of this. So, first is like the happiness. So, in one, chapter 1, verse 6, he's talking to the Thessalonians. He said, I preached the gospel to you guys, and you received it, even in the middle of being persecuted. He says this, you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Now, in this, this could be taken either way. This could be taken as there was a sense of gladness among them, or it could be taken as a sense of peace of like, oh, now this is what's happening. We can endure this now because of what's happening to us. But there are other examples of this, like a pleasure or a proudness. Go over to chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul says this, for who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord, uh, Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? He's saying, I'm proud of you guys. And how does he express it? He says, you're my joy. It's a proudness. It's a pleasure in the people that he sees as like his spiritual children. But also like a peace or an evenness or a calmness. You see this in James, the beginning of James uh, chapter 1. He says, what is, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When you face various trials, he's saying, go around and start singing 
all the time? No. He's saying, in the middle of this, you can cling to your confidence, your faith in Christ, and let that bring peace to you in the middle of this moment because you know that something, God, God is doing something in this to produce something in your heart. And so there's a peace internal to this. And so joy is used in these different ways. And so each of them, depending on the circumstance, lead to an acknowledgement of God and His ways at work in your life and in your world. So, there's something that happened this past week that I think will help me explain what's going on. Uh, so, I've told a couple of you guys, and I actually hinted at it just a second ago. So, we've had a virus going through my house uh, the past week or week and a half, and it's been a real bummer for us. Now, whenever a virus, like a, basically it's just a cold, like for you and me if we get it, it's a cold, but if a little kid gets a, like an RSV or a rhinovirus or something like that, it can be pretty harmful because it can mess with their breathing. And uh, so Barrett, uh, one of my boys, whenever he gets one of these viruses, this has been the case since he was born, um, he, he can't breathe very well. And so, like, he, the, his air tube, whatever that's called, trachea, is that right? The trachea thingy, uh, will, things about it, it will swell, and he can't get air in. And so he gets a thing called croup, and that turns into a thing called strider. And uh, so he gets, he cough, and then he can't get air in. And so the other night, he woke up. Um, we put him to bed, and then it's about 11 or so. He woke up crying because he couldn't get air in. And so he's, like, in bed, and he's crying, and he can't get enough air in to cough. He's like, <gasps> you do that. If, as, if it's your kid, it's kind of a scary moment, right? And so we're used to it uh, because we know, like, once he gets the virus, we know a day later this is coming. And... Uh, but I'm, used, Darren, I'm the one who is more uh, reluctant to just, hey, we're going to run to the doctor. Uh, but when I was hearing him that night, I was like, no, immediately. I'm getting shoes on. I'm taking him to the doctor. And uh, uh, because he needs, what he needs is a breathing treatment. And so uh, in the past, what we've done is he'll get a steroid, but then they also give him a breathing treatment uh, that is basically your fight or flight uh, hormone deal. So it's a, like an EpiPen, but they give them like 15 of them in a breathing treatment. And, it, and it, so what it does is it fills them with adrenaline and it causes all this stuff to contract and it opens up his airway. And it lasts for about two hours and then the steroid kicks in and it helps him uh, be able to, to keep the swelling down and be able to breathe better. Now, we went to the ER and they were explaining all this to me uh, again. And and so we're there, and they're getting better, better. And, and so I was telling them, like, this happens every time we get a virus. So he has to come and, and go to get a breathing treatment. And they're like, yeah, you were doing the nebulizer, which is like an inhaler, a kid inhaler. He's like, that stuff's not going to help this uh, because that deals with your lungs. What he needs is something to open up his airway. Um, so instead of like a nebulizer, what he needs, like a home remedy, so you don't have to come to the ER every single time this happens, if he, if he starts to get the strider, what you have to do is you have to do something to break the cycle. And if you break the cycle of the strider, then your body will begin to recover from it. And so you need to do one of two things. You need to either, when he gets like that, open up the freezer, and when the air, the condensating air, fog comes out of the freezer, have him breathe that, that air that comes out of the freezer, or go turn on your shower all the way hot and stick him in there and, and make him breathe the humid air, the humid air uh, in your bathroom. And so do one of those two things, and that should, changing his environment for, for what he's breathing in, 
should help him by opening up his airways and, and helping break the cycle of the strider. So that way, you can kind of do this at home and not have to come to the doctor all the time. I'm like, great. Thank you for that. And so that's really good information to know. And so we've, now that Molly's got it, we've been do, putting her in the shower all the time. But, but you know what's interesting about this is in all of this uh, remedy stuff, if you, if you stop and think about it for a moment, What's actually kind of useful in this? Like, what, what, like the thing that Barrett, Barrett most needed in this moment was water. Isn't that crazy? Like the thing, like my, my son's not breathing, and so they said, here's the remedy that he needs. Water. Water's the thing that's going to solve his problem here. It's the thing that's going to break his strider. So you either need the cold air from the freezer mixing in with the air molecules in your warm room, and that creates fog, water molecules following in the air, for him to come in and breathe that. Or you need to stick him in the shower where you have the water getting hot, mixing with the cool air in the room, creating steam. And so you stick him in the water vapor in there and have him breathe that. That's kind of a crazy thought, is the remedy for my son, what he really needs is water. It's, I, 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 when I started thinking about that, I was like, you know what? Water's amazing stuff. Like, sincerely, water, if you stop and just think about what all use f- that you have for water. You see, water is the thing that my son needed to help fix his breathing problem by, by he breathing in humidity. So the water vapor was the thing that was going to help him with his, with his breathing. But then also, water is also the thing that he needed. It's like you drink it to hydrate yourself, or you can freeze it to, to preserve food, or you, preserve, per, you can freeze it to put it on stuff to, to, to prevent swelling and ailments on your knee. But then also, you can boil it to kill pathogens. And so when I, when I started thinking about it, like, oh my gosh, water would have helped him. Think of how amazing water is. You have all these different uses of water. It's in cool. And so, and so what's cool is to consider that whatever external circumstance you then apply to water, it has a manifestation then that is useful in that moment, right? So you have your H2O molecules. And then if you apply heat to it, then you can create steam and help your breathing. Or if you apply heat to it, you can put it in an old train, and you can have this train run. But if you apply, uh, uh, take heat away from it, I guess you apply coldness, <laughs> you stick it in a freezer, what can you do? You can use water to then preserve things, or you can use water to reduce swelling in things, uh, or you can re- use water to cool down your, your ice, your, to cool down your drink on a hot day. Like, you, there's so many uses of this stuff that it's just, it's, it's remarkable to think about for a moment. Now, why do I tell you all this? It sounds weird. I understand that. Why do I tell you this? Because water is something that no matter what you apply to it, it will manifest itself in a different way. In each way that it manifests itself, it's very useful in that moment. But in the end, regardless of whether it's vapor or a solid or a liquid, it's still just water. It's still just H2O. And what, what I'm saying here is that biblical joy is the exact same way. You see, joy is, like, it is the same thing. It is joy. It is the root of confidence and faith in your heart. And then when you have an external 
external circumstance applied to it, it'll then manifest itself in a different way that is be life-giving in that moment. So if you have a happy thing, a happy moment where you're like, man, church was awesome, and I, I met this new person, and we're going to go to lunch today, and I'm really excited about it because I've been struggling, lonely, and now I have someone else to go meet, l- eat lunch with. You're like, that joy you feel in that moment of getting to go to lunch with someone else, that is biblical joy in that moment. But also, if you were at the Nye's uh, funeral, the, the baby Michael's funeral the other day, and I, I keep bringing this back up, but that was an amazing funeral, or because that is not a moment to be happy. But what you felt in that throughout the whole service was confidence in Christ. And that is a manifestation of joy in Christ, even though you're not singing out of happiness, right? And so regardless of your circumstances, you can express or feel joy, you just may not see it as happiness. It may be something else. It may be existing as vapor at this moment and not as ice. Because when you think of joy, you're like, always, oh, it needs to be happiness. I need to be singing. And so if I'm not happy, then I'm not feeling joy. And that's not true at all. True joy, rejoicing in Christ, results from your faith or your confidence in Him. And so if you're pointing back to that, then your expression then is joy in response to that. See, joy is all about confidence in Christ. It acknowledges, joy is all about acknowledging God's hand at work in all situations. That is what joy is. It's turning and saying, I'm going to trust you in the middle of this. And so this is how Paul can tell you and me then to rejoice Always. You see, if you rejoice, if you reduce joy down to a strict, like, momentary, happy moment, and I'm not saying happiness is not included in it, but if you restrict it to happiness, then you are missing the full scope, the full power of what gospel calls you to of living a life of joy, right? You're missing it if you reduce it down to happiness. And I'm not saying happiness is excluded. It's part of it. It's not less than happiness. I'm saying it's more than happiness, much like if you reduce the capacity of water down to just being a cold liquid, you would miss a lot of its power. And so what can you and I do to bring about this sort of outlook, this sort of presence, this sort of demeanor into your own life? Well, where does Paul begin here? So go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And he says this, uh, beginning in verse 2, we always thank God for all of you making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. And as a result, you became an example 
for all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And so where does Paul begin here? How can you have this life of joy? How can you exist in it? How can you live it? How can you attain this life of joy? What Paul says here for the Thessalonians, here's how they gained it. It's in response or because of who they know. It's because of who they know. So how did they gain this life of joy? They heard the gospel. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they gained an appreciation, experience from that where they said, we believe this, and now we're going to come to follow this God. That's the one we want. So, so here's the question is, have you had an experience like the Thessalonians? Have you had an experience in which the gospel came in power into your life, in which you heard the message of Christ preached, you heard the message of Christ preached, and you said, yes, that applies to me. You see, His holiness applies to you, and you gain the forgiveness for your sins because of the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, and that's been confirmed by the Holy Spirit into your heart and into your life, granting you full assurance of this new life, this new security in God and of His full love for you. Have you had an experience like that, not based on your own good works because you can never attain it, but based solely on the work of the Son, Jesus Christ? Have you received that? Have you received that personally in your own life? You see, that was the beginning point for the Thessalonians as they received that message And what did that do that developed joy within their hearts? So that way, even in spite of severe persecution, they pressed on and they said, we're following this God because he's produced joy in us. That's what's happened. And so in response, if that's how God feels towards you, and you have full assurance of your future in him based on Christ, then that does begin to shape your heart. It does begin to shape your countenance, to begin to see your world, begin to see your life differently. And so then when you hear Paul say, rejoice always, the Christian then responds and says, of course, of course, my confidence is in Christ. He holds all things, and my trust is in Him. That is the call. So hear Paul. This is God's will for you. You rejoice always. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come before you. And we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would lead us to be people who are filled with joy in response to you and your love for us, what Christ has done for us on the cross. Help us to understand and to be able to see confidence in you, trust in you, faith in you is joy. And so help us to hold fast. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a psalm I want to read that I think is a good picture uh, of joy in the Lord lived out. And I read it at the beginning. It's Psalm 112. And it's actually one of my favorites, specifically because of verse 7. I think about this a lot at night when I put my kids to bed. Um, you know, at night, you, you put your kids to bed and you think, man, things are too, this is really sweet. And uh, 
Your kid's laying there, and you're like, man, I love this person. And then in the back of my mind, you get a bad feeling of like, this is too good. Something bad's going to happen, you know? And I think about this verse, verse 7, a lot. Um, it says, talk about the, the hallelujah, happy is the person who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commands. Verse 7 says, he will not fear bad news, but his heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. And I think that that is a beautiful picture of joy lived out. Because it's someone who trusts in Christ and says all things are in his hands. And so now I'm going to trust and be joyful in him because I know that he holds my future and he knows he holds my kids' future. So listen to this psalm. Hallelujah. Happy is the person who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commands. His descendants will be powerful in the land. His, the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Good will come to the one who lends generously and conducts his business fairly. He will never be shaken. The righteous one will be remembered forever. He will not fear bad news. His heart, was, his heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. His heart is assured he will not fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He distributes freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, and his horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked one will see it and be angry. He will gnash his teeth in despair. The desire of the wicked leads to ruin. I just love that psalm because I think it, it really does depict the life lived, a life lived by faith and with joy. And so now as the band's going to play, if you want to pray with someone, I'm going to be standing in the back. But I think the call for you, if you're here and you have never given your life to follow Jesus, that is the call for you. The Spirit of God is calling you today to respond by faith in Him. To say, I, and here's what you do. If you're like, man, there's something compelling in this. And you're like, you feel the Spirit prompting your heart. And you're like, I'm missing out on that. Then here's what you do in your response. You say, Jesus, I'm calling out to you by faith. I heard you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead. And now through that, I can gain forgiveness of my sins and I can gain this joy that he's talking about. And I want that. And so when you do that, you call out to him and you admit your own sins. It's called repenting. And you cling by faith to him and say, I believe that what you did on the cross was sufficient for me. And now I want to follow you with my life. And when you do that, the Spirit of God will come into your life and will begin to, begin to build a confidence in Him that will lead to a life of joy. And so for everyone else, it's a moment for you to stop and consider, am I living a life of joy? Is my life filled with confidence in Christ? And so respond by faith to Him.